Cliff, you're an excellent front man. You're an excellent front man. You know, Steve Burns is wondering why this, uh, this was out here. Um, and I had to tell him I didn't put it out there. Uh, but since it's out here, I want to let Steve know that I... Just kidding. It is. It seems very uh, stage-worthy. You know, I got some good news tonight, or this morning. Some great news. You know, we all know that Monica is engaged. We all know that. And Sean. It's pretty exciting. 2011 is going to be a great year. People are dating, getting engaged. It's pretty awesome. Well, I'm here to tell you that Luke Opp and Josie Martinez are now dating. Where are they? Where are they? Are they in a church? Look at that. There they are. If you're wondering why they're not sitting together, they're focused on other people, which makes a great relationship for dating. It's awesome. Uh, he took her out to a skating rink last night in Thousand Oaks uh, in the rain with an umbrella, took a few skates out there in circles and read her or, or said some nice romantic things and asked her to be his girlfriend. And, and her response was, um, that would be very nice. <laughs> and it looks like, what does that mean? Is that yes? So for the next 45 minutes, Luke's wondering, am I dating or not dating? Am I, I hope I'm dating. So at the coffee shop, he clarified as, you, as a good communicator, hey, we're dating, correct? Yes, we are. Amen. Awesome, awesome job, Luke. We all know that uh, the great Tony and Candace are engaged. Wow, it's an amazing thing. And, uh, you know, who knows, 2011 could, could hold a lot, of, a lot of great things. You know, Christmas season is here. I thought, what, what, can I, what message can I give to the disciples and those who are visiting our church about the sermon before Christmas? I thought, let's, let's deal with some of the myths about Christmas. Okay, I'm not going to deal with Santa Claus. I ain't going there. Because there's too many things on the line right now. Santa is still operating in the North Pole right now as far as I'm concerned. So we're not dealing with the Santa myth just yet. We'll not do that. We'll deal with some other things that we've created in our minds of what we think the Bible says. And today we're going to try to find out what some of those questions are and to see if the Bible really says that. Okay? Let's start with the first one. Um, in the Garden of Eden, we all know that Eve was tempted by the serpents. And the servant tempted her with the fruit of a tree that they were not allowed to eat from. The myth is, what was the fruit? What type of fruit was it? What kind of fruit was it? Was it a peach? Was it an apple? Was it a pomegranate? They were pretty popular in the Mediterranean. Or was it the, was it the famous apple? The serpent says, do not eat this fruit or else you will. God doesn't want you to have it because he doesn't want to hold you back. That's the first myth. And the answer is, in Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree, it was good for food and pleasing to the eye. 
and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it. And she gave it to her husband, who was with her, and he sinned because of her. Amen. Just kidding. The Bible never says what type of fruit it was. I looked up the Hebrew word. It just says fruit, and the generic word is fruit. So we're not, we're not, that the, the, the point of the story was not about the fruit. It was about their obedience. But to answer the myth question, that it was just a fruit, and no one really knows what kind of fruit it was. Could have been a fig. Could have been a pomegranate. Could have been an avocado. Could have been an apple. But this, this goes into what, what's been saturated in our culture on TV and in pictures. They tell you it's the apple. So, because what happens is, if we're not committed to reading the Bible, we'll get duped in believing things. And this is a small, insignificant fact, but it, it plays to a bigger role of how our culture can get us to think one way that creeps into our convictions that's really not in the Bible at all. Okay? That's one. What kind of fruit did Eve eat? Okay? Whoever saw, whoever, whoever saw movies by Charlton Heston? What was one of his famous Bible movies? The Ten Commandments, big old beard, like down to here. And it was amazing. And so um, what time of the day was the Red Sea parted? Now, according to the movie, according to the movie, it was, you know, you know, he parted the Red Sea. There it was. It was awesome. What time of the day was it parted? Part of the day. The answer is? In Exodus 14, verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. He didn't strike the water like in, you know, the the prince of Egypt. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind all night long and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. And this is important with the wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. You know, for centuries, uh, theologians and, 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 and people have been trying to say, oh no, it just receded on the ground and it was dry. The Bible's very clear that it was during the nighttime and there was a wall of water up and down. Pretty dramatic. Another example of Hollywood culture trying to give us our convictions. See, I think what happens in our human nature is that we want someone to tell us about the Bible versus investigate it on our own. And when we do that, we lose crucial convictions on what's really important. And these are, again, smaller, insignificant things about night or day. It's not going to determine your salvation. But it does play to a part of what we like just to hear the Bible being taught to us without investigating it ourselves. If you don't look at it yourselves, someone else will give you what the Bible might say. And what we're going to be accountable on Judgment Day is your adherence to the Word. Your uh, um, listening to your life and doctrine if you save yourself and your hearers. God holds you accountable to the Word that you're responsible for. We can't say, oh, it's my group leader. He He didn't have really great midweeks. Oh, in my discipleship time, he didn't even open his Bible. Okay? The Lord's not going to really refer to those moments. He's going to refer to your moments in the time in the Word. Because you can't control what other people are going to do in front of you, but you can control what you do with the Word. 
You have, you're in complete control of that. Whether you have a, a discipleship partner that is really not strong in the word or not is irrelevant to God. You can change everything. You have the responsibility and the power to do that. Okay? That's a pretty cool myth, huh? Busted? Is that myth busted? I think so. Okay. Here's a children's myth. What kind of fish swallowed Jonah? Mmm. Very large whale. The mega mouth. Mega mouth swallowed him up. Um, could have been, a, you know, some say it was the great white because it can, you know, it grows like 21 feet. It can swallow a manhole. Um, could be a whale. What does the Bible say? The Bible says this. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. The Bible in Hebrew is the word fish. It doesn't tell us what kind of fish. It just says it was a big fish. It was a huge fish. And who knows why the fish had to swallow Jonah? Teen ministry, does anybody know why the fish swallowed Jonah? Does anybody know? Not the parents, but the teens. Danny. Stand up, stand up. Stand up. There you go, there you go. Because we can't hear your seat. What was that? Place. And what were we supposed to do in that town? That's right. Good job, Danny. He was supposed to go and preach to the Ninevites, who are very bad and in, 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 in fidget tales are called fish slappers. But, uh, yeah, and they're the Assyrians, and he didn't want to do that. He tried to run the opposite way, and he went on a boat, and the sea got violent, and then he says, hey, guys, it's violent because I'm running from God. Throw me over the water. They go, no, we'll, we'll throw the cargo. We're not gonna, we're not, we don't want you to die. He goes, no, no matter what you do, it's, it's going to happen. This, this, this ship will sink. Throw me over, and they did, and then the fish came, took him, and then vomited him out on the ocean beach of Nineveh. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. A big fish. It wasn't a whale. Know your Bible. Know what it says. The culture's very tricky out here. Very tricky. Okay, how about, how about a Christmas myth? The Magi and the Manger. Who, who, who are the Magi? The wise men. And how many were there? Three, yeah, you're right. Three wise men. Yeah, absolutely. The Bible says three. The Bible's very specific. Three wise men. It's, it's, in, the, it's in all the Christmas cards. It's in all the movies. It's there. You know? And the, and the Magi came to see baby Jesus in the manger. They came to visit him in the manger and give him awesome gifts along with the shepherds. It's in the Christmas card. Don't deny it. In Matthew chapter 2, after they had heard the king, this is King Herod, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed and on coming to the manger, oh, no, it doesn't say that. Oh, it says the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. 
Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The child and coming to the house and King Herod. And King Herod wanted to kill every two-year-old. The Magi were two years late. Two years late. And there was three? Doesn't say, does it? Just says Magi. It's plural, but it just says Magi. Now, they went to the house, and there came a little two-year-old boy, Jesus. And there was Mary. And there was Joseph. But our culture wants us to believe that, hey, they're at the manger. They're there with the shepherds. They're all together. If you don't read your Bible, these are, these are, these are small, insignificant things. But if you consistently don't, aren't in your word, you will get deceived on bigger things. Little yeast works through the dough. A little yeast. When you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rely on the Sunday sermon to teach me about God. Ooh, oh. Or I'm going to rely on the children's ministry to instruct my child and, and have him grow up in the, in the name of the Lord. Uh-oh. Now, it's not a knock on our amazing workers back there. That's pretty awesome. We lift them up all the time. But I'm not under the impression that they're going to teach my son and daughter how to have a moral compass. They're doing an educational, spiritual little class. I have great friends. La, 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 la. But it's my responsibility to do the everyday uh, training. So the Magi in the manger. Who here, who here really believed that? Who really believed? I used to believe that they were at the, at the manger. I really believe. I'm just going to confess. Let's just be open. Let's just be honest. How many of you thought there was three wise men? I thought there was three wise men. Yes. You're all deceived. <laughs> just. Hey. Hey, you know, you always appreciate, you always want to appreciate, um, you know, um, people that can show you the Bible and, and, and explain things to you. It's always a great thing. Um, the next myth is Jesus was the only child. Immaculate conception. He was the only one born of Mary. There couldn't have been anybody else. That's, that's a big belief. Well, let's see what the Bible says. Was there only one child? How do you know, smarty pants? Let's see. I think a team minister like, yeah, no, it wasn't. I like that team minister. I like a little sassiness. I like it. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved from there and coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? You know, it's not like he went in some other town. He went to his hometown. People that saw his entire family. And they're wondering why he came back with so much power and conviction. And then they're thinking, hey, this guy's just like us. He's got... He's got four brothers and at least two sisters after him. That's a family of seven children, including Jesus. Man, that's a household. Man, he wasn't the only child. Some say that this word here, brothers, is, a, is another word for cousins. I looked it up. It's not. It's brotherly of, of the same family. It's not brother of cousins. People want, to write away, people want to write away this fact by saying they're cousins and are related, 
but aren't his mother. And the context is his mother's name is Mary. And so these are the children afterwards, and he has sisters. We have no idea what ever happened to Jesus' sisters. We had no idea. But uh, I pray for the brother who married them. I just really pray for that brother who had to marry his sister of Jesus. Hey, uh, well, amen. I'm just trying to, trying to lead a family devo here, honey. You know? Can you imagine that family dynamic? I always think about these things when, you know, because families and people, when I read the Bible, I kind of, I laugh because I wonder how, how their husbands, you know, how they were with, you know, hey, the Lord was your brother. What do I, you know, how do we do this? You know? Jesus, the only child. You know, uh, another uh, good point about this passage is that uh, when Jesus delineated or he deviated from the culture of his day, which meant which was meant was just to have the Old Testament laws, he began to establish God's true ministry, and then his mother and his brothers had a problem with that. They had a problem with this new conviction. And so they came to his, this house, and they said, Jesus, come out here. We want to talk with you. And the brothers are there, and his mother's there. And he said, hey, these are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Those who do the will of God are my mother, brother, and sisters. And because of that conviction, Mary, after he dies, and after he dies Mary's in there with the apostles praying in the upper room. His brother James wrote the book of James. His brother Judas wrote the book of Jude, Holy Scripture, because of Jesus' stand on God. So it's important that we learn a lesson, too, like, hey, it's okay to take a stand when it comes to family about what's right and true. you got to stand up for your convictions. Jesus did, and it, it really transformed his entire family. Pretty amazing, huh? He had a brother named Judas. Interesting, Judas. <laughs> hey, Judas, I love you, but the other one's not going to love me as well as you are. I mean, can you imagine the things that he knew ahead of time and what he did and how he lived? Okay, here's another one. Jesus was a good teacher. He was a great teacher. Even in Islam, they say Jesus was a great teacher. Pray for the prophet Jesus. Did you know in Islam, they believe that Jesus was born by the Holy Spirit? Do you guys know that? They believe that Jesus was born divinely. You know, in Islam, they believe that uh, Jesus will return again. They believe that. That's what we believe. We think we're so, uh, we're, we're so much different than Islam, but some of the core beliefs are a little bit similar. They believe some of the things that we believe. Jesus was born of Mary, divinely. He'll come again. The only difference is that they think he's a good teacher. And they have these crazy Sharia laws. We won't get into that. But um, they think yeah, he's just a good prophet. And both the Islam religion and the Christian religion believe that Abraham is the father of our faith. The, the, and even they believe in Moses. They believe in all these great patriarchs, but they deviate. And they say, well, Muhammad was the last prophet, not Jesus. But Muhammad wasn't a god either. You couldn't worship Muhammad, but you couldn't worship Jesus either. So this is a, and, and, and Islam is one of the, one of the fastest growing religions not because of, you know, evangelism, but because of birth rate. They're just, they're just populating the world to just birth. A lot of them are third world countries. In America, most people have the American dream, married two kids. Their, their Islamic dream is married 20 kids. I mean, they are just radically advancing 
Uh, in the old days of Islam, it was advanced through not through peace, but through the sword. Uh, Islam was originally rejected. They, didn't, they rejected Muhammad's teaching, and then he uh, had a military arm of his, of his church or religion, and they advanced on different cities, and they put cities to the sword, and they were given a choice of following the teachings of Muhammad or being put to death. And so, you know, understandably, they chose that religion, and it, it, it just radically grew into a military arm of, uh, in the 680s. Pretty amazing stuff there. So this teacher myth has been going around for a long time. So let's take a look here. In the Bible, God says to Moses, to go, he goes back to the Israelites. Okay, go, Moses goes, okay, I'll, I'll go back there, but what do I tell him your name is? Elohim? Jehovah? He says, you tell them, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Okay? You know, he tried to ask God, God what's your name? And he, all he said was, I am is my name. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? I am. That kind of defines God, I am. I understand that now. I understand that completely. So this was a very important identification to all the Israelites. They knew this passage, that God is the great I am. And then Jesus that's a little text message. John 8, verse 58, he's talking to the, to, the, to the teachers of the law who knew that passage in Exodus. And he's trying to tell them that, hey, I'm, I'm God come down. I, I'm the one. I'm the bread of life. He goes, I tell you the truth, or verily, truly, I tell you. Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Before Abraham, he goes, I am. And when he said that, if you look in your Bible, they said, you will now die because they wanted to kill him. Because what he was saying was, "You, I am God. I am. He wasn't a good teacher. He, he says, I am the gate. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one gets to heaven but through me. In fact, Everyone who dies, here's another myth, goes to heaven, right? Nah. No one can go to heaven unless Jesus takes you there. Last time I checked, he hadn't come down yet. Maybe I missed it. Jesus, God, has to come down and take us to heaven. So what happens to all those people who are dead? Mm. It's a good Bible study. Do you guys know? You want me to tell you? Can I, can I make something up and you'll believe me? Yeah. Study it out. But everyone who dies goes into the, what's, what's called Hades. It's the place where every dead soul goes. Because you cannot get into heaven unless Jesus has to come back and take you. Remember that? I have a room for you, but I'm going to come back and take you there to the room. Until he comes back, what happens? You're in a chamber, a holding, waiting place, a waiting room called Hades. And in Hades, there's two places to be. In Luke 16, it says, on one hand, you can be in Abraham's bosom. Ah, it's awesome. It's encouraging, Abraham. Mm, so cuddly. <laughs> and on the other side of paradise, because remember he told the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me, Jesus, in paradise. He didn't say, today you'll be with me in heaven, but paradise. 
On the other side of Hades, there is a place that's darker. A place that is one section of it is where the, the angels, the fallen angels, are, are, some of them are locked up in this dark dungeon. But that's the darker side of, of Hades, which there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As you wait for the, for the final judgment, and that's heaven or hell. So Jesus says, I am. He's God. He's not a good teacher. He's the Messiah. Now, what can these myths teach us? What can they teach us? Just want to ask a few questions here. What do these things can teach you? What do they teach you? These little, nit, little, little insignificant facts that are created in our mythology but aren't true, what does it teach you about yourself in the Bible? Who wants to share something? What does this teach us? Anyone bold enough to share? I said, before I pick somebody? Yes, Melanie. Excellent point. If we rely on what we're just taught by someone else, we can be, not that their bad, hearts are bad. I don't think people have bad hearts. I just think if you don't investigate it yourself, you can be believing the wrong things. You could. I thought there were three magi. I was certain of it. I thought G- the wise men came to the manger. I was, I was, I was one of the wise men that was in the play. We were at the manger scene. and eighth, We were there. You know, we believe these things growing up inherently. But it also teaches us to study your Bible. Take this next week and a half, this slow season of the year, to really study and and pick one topic of your Bible and just study it out. Go to the Christian bookstore. Get a Bible dictionary. Those are great. You can look up a topic. You can study it out. It's got a bunch of uh, uh, scripture references. You can have a great time in the Word. Get into your Bible in the holidays. This is not a time to forget about God and rely on the, the Christmas spirit. Because what happens is that you'll start believing things that aren't really true. And we don't want to do that, right? We want to have the true facts about Christmas. And when your kids are all old enough, you can tell them about the real Santa Claus, Nicholas. Because I'm not going to do that. I don't dare not do that because some families will have a talk with me afterwards. What can we learn? Read the word for clarity and truth. Read for clarity and truth. Two. Do your own homework. Do your own Bible study. It doesn't have to be about these little, these little funny little myths, but do your own Bible study on how, how one truly becomes a Christian. Here's another myth for you. The, the concept of the, the, the words of, I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart, uh, does not exist in the Bible. That's a very big, big myth in the Christian. But you, know, you ask Christians around, hey, you pray Jesus into your heart, and that, you're, you're saved. But that's nowhere in the Bible. Right. Now, it does say confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord or you will be saved. It does say that. But it doesn't say asking Jesus to come into your heart. So do your own homework. Thirdly, you don't know unless you read the word. You don't know. You will not know. Become a good defense attorney for the scriptures. Become a good advocate for the Bible. That's very important. And lastly, if you fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Let's not be deceived this Christmas. Let's, let's, let's really do a great job of, of breaking every myth that's out there by studying our Bibles. Have a very Merry Christmas, guys. We love you, and we'll see you next week.